Hello and welcome to Grounds for Peace, a Project Zion podcast series where we explore what it looks like to follow Jesus, the peaceful one, and ask difficult questions about how people of faith can make a difference in today's world. I'm your host, Robin Linkhart. I'm here with Linda Stanbridge, and today we are talking about her recent D-Man dissertation on social justice and the prophets. Welcome, Linda. So good to have you with us today. Hi, Robin. Thanks so much for having me. Linda, you have been a guest on Project Zion before, but it's always good to take just a few minutes for a brief introduction from you. So tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, My name is Linda Stanbridge. I use the pronouns she, her. And I live in Lexington, Michigan, um, which is right on the shores of Lake Huron. And it's a beautiful place. Uh, Right now, we are looking at some enormous snowflakes coming down. So we we look forward to that this time of year. Um, I have two kids. They are nine and six. And um, they probably are wishing that they have a snow day right now. (laughs) They didn't get one today. Uh, I work for the Michigan Mission Center. And I am the invitation support minister. So I do some stuff with communications and new expressions. uh, And I work with pastors and congregations. And right now we're doing a big focus in Michigan on getting a lot of our congregations through Harmony's welcoming and affirming program. So I've been spending some of my time on that, which has been um, really fun. And what else? Um, I have four cats and a dog. And yeah, that's for the record is too many cats. <laughs> you can confirm. Well, I can certainly relate to having lots of cats. I love cats. And our youngest daughter, my my oldest daughter, periodically calls me and says, Mom, are you sure she's not becoming a cat woman? So, <laughs> so cats are wonderful. Well, today we're here to talk about your dissertation on social justice and the prophets. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your journey with ministry. What took you to Community of Christ Seminary to complete an MAR and how that led to your decision to complete your most recent doctoral degree? Sure. Um, After shortly after my husband and I uh, got married, we started going back to um, a community of Christ congregation. And I, I like telling this story because uh, we had tried a Methodist church. Uh, so we were looking for a place that had more young folks, but um, someone from this wonderful little rural congregation uh, invited us back. And we came back to that congregation really specifically because she invited us and we didn't want to let her down. And that started us kind of on a new journey with community of Christ. Uh, after we had taken some time away and tried some different things. And I learned a lot more about where Community of Christ was at and how much, um, you know, after 2000, how much Community of Christ was growing and, and changing. And I was really excited about who we were becoming and who we were trying to become. But I sat in a pew one Sunday morning and listened to um, a guest minister who was preaching about um, how he was against LGBT. Uh, not just LGBTQ inclusion, but um, folks in general. And I was so upset that morning. And I really could not believe that nobody was standing up and speaking out against this. Um, And this would have been in, I'm going to say this was 2015-ish. So it was after national conferences. 
Um, but we're way out in rural Michigan and I don't know how, how much I had made it that far, but I was so surprised that no one stood up. And as I went to different congregations and started kind of exploring other, other congregations, I realized that there were things that were getting said in church or that were not getting said in church that bothered me. Um, after there would be, say, um, a mass shooting, because unfortunately we've had to navigate a lot of those um, in the last several years. Um, you know, if that didn't get mentioned on Sunday morning, it would really bother me. And my primary frustration was that nobody was standing up and doing anything about it. And one morning, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and reminded me that actually I had a voice too. And I was as responsible as the people whom I was judging for not mentioning these things that I thought the church should be worked up about. Um, and so I got a little bit involved in the mission center and I was lucky enough that the mission center leaders, uh, at the time nominated me for, I don't know if they still do the emerging leaders grant or what they call it now through the seminary. Cause this has been several years, but, um, I was lucky enough to receive that. And so the church helped to, um, support my, my journey with seminary, uh, at the community of Christ seminary and, um, more proof maybe that I've, I've lost it is that my daughter was I think six or eight weeks old when I started at the uh, Community of Christ Seminary. And so <laughs> I have a lot of pictures where I've got that. What do they call those? The boppy pillow where it's like the <laughs> the horseshoe shaped pillow that goes around your waist. And my daughter's just tiny laying on that. And then on my lap in front of me is my is my laptop and I'm typing with a boppy in my lap. Um, but it was also really cool to become a mom. Again, I had an older daughter at the time, but to go through that experience while I was in such an intense um, spiritual place, like that was a, a really, really cool experience. Um, yeah, so that that was um, a fire hose of information, but that's how I got first got involved in the Community of Christ Seminary um, and how I came back to Community of Christ was really that I was invited. I was invited back. So... Um... Once you came out of Community of Christ Seminary, and and that is no small thing. It's a very rigorous program, and people do it with all the rest of their life happening um, like you did. Um, What led you to your decision to pursue a doctoral degree? Yeah, I have always been a person who loves to learn. I've always been a reader. I'm a person who will read an article or a book about anything. I just, I really love to learn. Um, and being back in seminary kind of reignited that for me, but it also got me kind of excited in a direction. And it was like amazing to connect with people who were also really passionate about some of the same things that I was excited about. It really like encouraged me. And so I had a lot of personal growth um, in those two years that I was in seminary. Um, and and that was an amazing experience for me. I mean, in my faith and in what I knew, but also just as a person uh, and developing myself and my ministry and my confidence. Um, and then I kind of mentioned to, to Tony, like, I don't, you know, what are, what are the programs that are out there? Um, I still have like a lot of questions and I still have some things I want to navigate and I think I want to keep learning. And so then he did this trick where, and we talked about different doctoral programs, you know, there's a PhD or a demon, which sounds like demon, <laughs> but it's a doctor of ministry, <laughs> which the irony is not lost on me, but um, we talked about some of those different options. And then he would, for the next, I don't know, rest of the semester, he would make little notes on my paper that would, would be like, Linda, this is 
PhD level work. I think you can do it. And so he would give me all these kind of encouragements. And and again, that really helped build me up as a person and believe, you know, that was something I might really actually be able to do. Um, so that was really, really cool. He encouraged me a lot. And so did um, Zach uh, Harmon McLaughlin encouraged me a lot and helped me to find, um, you know, a seminary that would be close to home that I could navigate that also wouldn't be, you know, theologically too, <laughs> too difficult to manage to where I couldn't be either authentically myself or really make, you know, the continued personal growth that I really um, wanted to look for. So yeah, I, I owe a lot of that to um, those two guys for giving me so much encouragement. That's exciting. Seminary um, has been transforming in many lives, in, including mine way back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and you did it when it was like the three week program, right? Where you did the super long one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we did three weeks in session at, at uh, community of Christ temple. And of course doing stuff in between and online classes mixed in with that. And I did the MACM, which was a 66 hour degree, but it added wow. a lot of the practical application yeah. methodology kind of courses. So it, yeah. it was just amazing. Um, so I can cool. really connect with, with what you're sharing about that. Just that it was like a divine synergy that expanded in the group that you're journeying with in this yeah. adventure of learning and ministry and just rock my world information that you're like, whoa. So yeah, and you have these amazing people who are kind of willing to be that vulnerable too. And, and you kind of catch each other and yeah, it's, I mean, some of my closest friends are my seminary folks. It's yeah. Just, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And so then when I came to my next seminary to get my doctorate, I came with that expectation. I'm like, we're a family. We're going to be together. And um, I was paired with two other, there was just three of us in our, in our little cohort group, but with two other people who had the same mentality. And so we really kind of approached that the same way. And so um, I felt like I got to bring kind of a little bit of the CFC experience to my, to my new, my next seminary um, with my group. And it was a really cool, really cool experience. That is exciting. How how else was this doctoral program different than the MAR degree journey? Yeah. So I went to Ecumenical Theological Seminary in Detroit and um, they talk about themselves as being um, really enmeshed in the Detroit prophetic tradition. Uh, and that was one of the things that grabbed me from their website um, was that they were talking already language that felt familiar to me, but it's an, in an ecumenical context and really honoring, you know, the change that has come out of um, some people who have done really hard work um, socially in Detroit. And so that was cool. Um, it's uh, predominantly um, a black seminary, which was an experience that I really wanted was to be uh, with folks that would have come from a different life experience and viewpoint. And because it's ecumenical, there are people from, oh my gosh, like every every Christian tradition. And then we also had folks who were Hindu uh, and we had a few Muslim folks as well. Um, and so it was really interfaith and um because of the way the learning is set up there, you really do get an opportunity to benefit from everyone else's research as well. So it's sort of similar to the Community of Christ Seminary, where you do like a semester's worth of work, and then you have an in-person week, and then a semester's worth of work and an in-person week, which was great, because then I felt kind of prepared. I'm like, oh, this rhythm feels familiar. 
Um, and you're in groups by where you're at with your cohort. So you're all kind of taking classes together. And so you're all working on your individual topics and doing sort of your own research, um, but you're doing it together. And so you get to hear about where they are in their research and what's the outcome and who are they reading. So it's kind of a surface level understanding, but you get to see what everybody else is working on from their viewpoint. Um, there were some people who were doing like a chaplaincy program uh, that were in our cohort. And one person was um, developing um, an outline for how she could be doing hospital chaplaincy um, for people who are Hindu in the hospital. Uh, and it was from her experience as a chaplain. And so that was something that was just, I've never done hospital chaplaincy. It's a faith tradition I know almost nothing about. Um, but I got to glimpse just a little bit of her work and and um, through a lot of instances like that, that really grew my understanding. And that was something I didn't get from going to, you know, a CFC specific seminary. So I feel like I got kind of the best of both worlds. I got a little um, spoiled on that, but it's, it's really, it's a really cool program. And, and again, the hybrid nature felt really comfortable and familiar. And I, I liked that. So, and I'm not even sure the timing of when you have to make a decision about the topic of your dissertation, but how did you get interested in that topic or like, what drew you into that? Yeah. So that, um, that's an interesting, uh, interesting story. I think I was raised, and I, I think I've talked about this in Project Zion before. Um, I was raised in a Pentecostal tradition, which was very, very uh, conservative. And I can remember a lot as a kid, actually thinking that God was really pretty scary. Um, and a lot of that was because of what I had become familiar with in the Old Testament that I didn't have good context around because of the uh, religious, you know, environment that I was in. But also I was little. <laughs> and so there's some stuff in there that's just really not like easy for kids to navigate. And um, when I came to the Community of Christ Seminary and I got into Hebrew Bible and that class Hebrew Bible and I started digging in, it just completely captivated me. I was so caught up in the stories and I felt like I had an opportunity to like meet God all over again. It was almost like I had never read the stories before because I had done so much unpacking in other ways, but I had never taken the time to like really sit with those scriptures and piece them apart. I mean, who has the time for that? Unless you have a professor breathing down your neck <laughs> to do it. I needed that. Right. And I had this amazing team of people who were like, I, and it was just such a cool experience, but I fell in love with it all over again. And or, or for the first time, I really fell in love with it. And I was fascinated um, by prophets and what that meant to be prophetic, knowing that as community of Christ, that's something that we talk about all the time. We're a prophetic people. And my mind was kind of blown. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe this means something even different than I thought it did. And um, and that was kind of the point where I was like, I think I want to keep digging. You know, I'm kind of excited about this. Um, so after I finished the Community of Christ Seminary and Tony pushed me along a little bit, which I needed, I took about a year off and then. I always say God was still kind of being a nag about it, which not everybody likes that language, but that's how it felt. God was still being a nag about it. Um, and so I, I took took the risk and applied. And I was totally shocked, of course, when I got in because I, I, oh, my gosh, what did I do? How's this going to be? But oh, it was just such an amazing experience. I, I would totally recommend it for other folks. It was awesome. 
So I think that brings us to the meat of why why we want you to talk with us today. And that is to, with you as our guide, just take us on a journey. Um, tell us about your research, your thesis, your conclusions. We can't wait to hear about it. Sure, I would be glad to. Um, so I was uh, I was really excited to have Tony working with me on my defense, uh, Tony Schwalismith. I shouldn't assume he's the only Tony anyone knows, uh, but in Michigan, he's just Tony. Um, <laughs> but he served as my content specialist, um, which was great because I wanted to, um, you know, when you're preparing your research, it needs to be something that's relevant to your ministry context and your practice, what you're actually doing and what's going on with the um, people in your faith community, but it should also add something to the body of knowledge that others would benefit from too. So I was really lucky to have Tony helping me navigate that and giving me tons of um, great sources. Uh, And then you would get a few other people assigned to your team too. You get a faculty chair, a faculty mentor, and at my seminary, ETS, you also have a peer reader. So you have someone else who's going through the program um, who are all there to support you. And it felt for me (laughs) at first like, oh my gosh, you have these like five people who are going to sit behind probably like a big scary table and they're probably going to write a lot of things down while you're doing your presentation. But it was not like that. You really feel like they want this for you and they are there to support you and they don't want any surprises. It was just a really cool experience to have that many people kind of surround and support you. So um, that was one really cool aspect especially when it comes to building out kind of your bibliography, you know, you have all these people with tons more experience who, who can guide you. Um, So, you know, it kind of goes back to talking about um, having that experience of God tapping on my shoulder on a Sunday morning and pointing out to me that I also had a voice uh, and could be speaking up about these things that I kind of wanted to maybe judge others for not mentioning on a Sunday morning, and and God's good at pointing out the log in our, in my own eye once in a while. Um, but then I stumbled on this um, survey that came from Barna Group, and it's it's a 2021 survey, so it's post COVID, which I always like to mention when we're especially when we're talking about churches, because as we all know, and we're we're living in this, it is so different um, before and after. So we we always want to keep that in mind. Um, but this survey found that um, 40% of adults think, at least somewhat, that Christian pastors are focused only on growing their churches and not really on community transformation. Um, and it was this from the same survey, they said 40 per, 41% of U.S. adults agree, at least somewhat, that pastors are out of touch with the needs of their community. And I thought that was really kind of a, a tough indictment But in some ways, and this might not make me popular, it did reflect what I was seeing in some of our congregations where we are struggling so hard to get by and we do have so few people and so few resources. And so sometimes we do turn inward and it feels like we're a little bit in survival mode. And so, um, you know, that that survey kind of confirmed for me what I was already afraid of a little bit, which was that we were turning inward and sort of losing sight of what's going on uh, in the community around us. Um, and that kind of got me toward my my dissertation question, which was like, how do we break out of that? How do we get to where we are 
close enough to marginalized communities, close enough to oppressed communities that we can actually be effective agents for change. And so what I wanted to explore was, you know, would learning about the prophets, um, that thing that had really kind of shaken me and opened my mind and my eyes, would that maybe also help other people to become more interested in being sort of active participants um, in social transformation and social justice in their communities? So that, that was kind of how we got to, I guess, the um, initial question there. So what were some of your largest challenges along the way? And and were there any surprises? Probably the most significant challenge was in, and I mean this with love, participants, if you're listening to this, because there were, I can talk about the, the research body in a minute, but there were tons of wonderful community of Christ people who volunteered to be like my own little guinea pigs. Um, but the the interesting thing was that we have, which I could have told you before this, we have like the best people in Community of Christ, but it was a very interesting demographic group. Um, it was 81% female, which is very interesting. I think that's probably pretty reflective of, of what we see in most congregations. The majority of participants are female. Um, and it was a pretty broad age spread, except that there was very little representation of folks between like 25 and 34 which again, I think is probably pretty representative of what we see in congregations. Um, But that was worth kind of noting. And then the other interesting thing was that more than 75% of the participants had at least a master's degree, um, which is insane. Uh, More than 75% of them had a master's degree. And I think um, this is a little bit of a bias because the topic was, um, you know, social justice and the profits. And so it's going to attract people with a certain interest. And I know a lot of the folks, the, many of them hold more than one master's degree, but um, a lot of folks who had a master's degree who signed up for this um, class that I taught as part of my dissertation, they were seminarians. So when it was time to kind of evaluate how much do they already know about the prophets, because I want to see if I can teach them more and change their mind about some things, they were already rating themselves really high because we had some really, really highly educated folks who signed up to do kind of this research part of my program. And so I think um, if I could do this research again, I would want to do it in a congregation where most of the people haven't been to seminary or, um, you know, it's more of our lay ministry or our more hands-on people in congregations and not just leaders because, Obviously, our leaders have some, and I hope, hopefully, <laughs> I hope they have interest in social justice. The folks who signed up for this rated themselves as really interested. Um, but how do we get that to kind of carry down into congregations? So I would love to teach this again uh, to more folks in different, you know, aspects of church life. But I think that was one of the challenges was we had some really amazing people sign up for the class that I was offering. When you surveyed that class, were there any questions about their involvement in the advocacy and becoming in relationship with marginalized folks. I mean, you spoke to that earlier as being part of the transformative journey of becoming actively prophetic. Yeah. And we can talk about sort of like the, you know, what things that we, that I represent, that I presented as evidence between, you know, rate yourself now and rate yourself after the class. But um, participants were asked to just Um, tell us about their current social justice participation. So, and the options were like 
yes, I often participate in social justice. Um, yes, sometimes, yes, rarely, or no. And um, they so they rate themselves before. And then we go through this class and they rate themselves after. But it's only like a six-week class. So I sort of thought the answers would be the same between the pre-test, you know, and the post-test because they're just evaluating themselves and their their current participation. But there was an increase, a pretty significant increase. And so I'm looking at this data and thinking, did everybody go and sign up to like serve on the board of their local community, you know, whatever action group or how do we get here, you know, from from this week to this week? Um, But I think what it was is that a lot of people, as they started to understand more deeply what it meant to be prophetic and to be to be doing that in their own communities. And you see this in sort of the qualitative data where they have the opportunity to share like a paragraph or a few sentences about their work, is that people began to understand that what they were already doing was prophetic, but they weren't um, they weren't realizing that, oh my gosh, what I'm doing is part of this greater prophetic tradition and this is part of my faith journey. And so some people talked about kind of being renewed in that sense of call. Um, so I think it's really neat that they were able to kind of revision what they were already doing as well. Were there any big surprises for you as you journeyed through this whole process of study and research? And I mean, your class was kind of like a test group sample. <laughs> Sit here and listen to me talk for a lot of hours. <laughs> yes. And these, I mean, these poor people were, everybody was so wonderful, but So the program was, um, you know, sign up to take this class from me and it's about social justice and the prophets. And that's really all I told them. I didn't, they didn't get a lot of info at first and it was like an hour and a half, six Sundays in a row. And I made the biggest mistake because the first class I scheduled for Super Bowl Sunday. And so not very many people came and I'm like, what is, what is going on? And finally someone was like, I can't believe you put this through the middle of the Super Bowl. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you can tell sports are not my priority. I had absolutely no idea it was Super Bowl Sunday, but these wonderful people gave up some of their Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and we, we did all kinds of, uh, group work and study. And then at the end evaluated, you know, what from these classes was most beneficial in kind of what we were hoping to achieve together. And they were able to rate it. Um, and it was, I will say I was lucky because some of the people who were doing research, um, you might go through and your thesis doesn't work out and it gets disproved. And it doesn't mean that you won't graduate and still become a doctor, but you always want to be right. Like we want our thesis to come out right. And mine worked. So that that was exciting. But what was surprising was the things that people were most um, found most meaningful from the classes that we were together. So the things that they were most excited about by far was group discussions. The time we did it over Zoom. Um, so the time they spent in those little breakout groups, kind of we would do some activities. Maybe I gave them an article and some questions or a discussion or something. Sometimes we watched a video. Um, those were the things that were most valuable to them. And I think that's cool. I mean, we're a community of Christ, Chatterday Saints, all those <laughs> nicknames were known to love to chat. So I guess that shouldn't have been surprising to me. Um, but that was what they were most excited about. And that made me think, you know, this could work in a classroom too, or in a congregation, because people are enjoying that being together and discussing aspect. Um, and then they were also excited about just learning about the prophetic tradition. Um, we, like I said, it's a word we throw around a lot. What is being a prophetic people? Um, but we don't often take time to sit down and look at that word and what does it mean to be prophetic? So those are the things that participants were most excited about when they got to go through um, 
the class that I had created. And and that was exciting to me to see those uh, outcomes. That is really exciting. So you've done all this work and how many years were you in this by the time you had completed your thesis and then you had to go and defend it? How, how many years? Um, it works out to be just a little bit more than three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's six semesters. Well, because I started in December, I won't walk across the stage until probably June, whenever they have their, they just do one graduation a year, but um, it's six semesters total. And every semester you have some online and independent work and like, co- you know, work with your cohort group and one uh, week in person. So you do that six times and there are people in the program. There's always, you know, one group who's on their first week, one group who's on their second week. And so it's cool that you're all kind of in overlapping in different parts of your journey. And um, some of the people who are ahead of us were just so wonderful. Like you could email them and be like, I don't know what this, I don't know what Dr. So-and-so means on this. Can I see your old draft? And oh my gosh, yeah. You know, some of that just collaboration and stuff that was really neat. Um, But it'll end up being just a little over three years top to bottom. Yeah, that's a, that's a big commitment. So I remember when this was all coming to an end and you had completed your uh, dissertation and submitted that and then the day to defend it. And, you know, there were um, different announcements on Facebook that you were getting ready to go. And a bunch of us were just, you know, sending you love and hugs and praying for this experience. So tell us what it was like to defend your dissertation and what kind of questions or comments you got from your board. Oh my gosh. I thought it was going to be, I mean, and it was like so scary. Do you get the adrenaline sweats? Cause even if I'm not nervous, I'll get the adrenaline sweats. I was a mess. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was a mess. And then they have this silly rule that you have to bring your own snacks. Do you have to like, and I'm like, can we can, like, can I, could someone else in my group bring the snacks and I'll do it on your day. Um, and so, you know, we, we brought some snacks down and um it, <laughs> I just kind of got up there and I was so nervous and I just thought to myself, you know, I am going to choose to own this room. I'm going to just decide, you know, this is my topic. I've done all this work for three years. There's nothing that I didn't do in the last three years that can mess up today. You know, there's nothing I can do today that's going to undo any of that. I'm just here to tell my story of, of what I've been working on and what are the outcomes and what are the, some of the positive things I think can come out of this research? And so I, I chose to just kind of own the room and be excited about it. And uh, it was it was it was such a um, like empowering experience, but it was also terrifying. Um, and then when it came time for them to all you know ask questions at the end, more than one person brought up the fact that I didn't have any sweets in my snacks <laughs> because. I had just brought like a veggie tray and cheese and crackers and more than one person was like, I can't believe you didn't have cookies. And then <laughs> later I overheard my mom whisper to my aunt, oh, it's just like Linda to make us eat vegetables. <laughs> Excuse me. I have a little cold. That was, uh, that was one negative piece of feedback I got, but that kind of helped, you know, just uh, break the ice a little. And um, they asked good questions about some of my sources uh, you know, what were some of the main works that you rely on? And in your presentation, you talk a bit about, you know, your literature review and and who are the authors that you're leaning on. Um, but there's never time to list, you know, all 75 or 100 folks whose work you're using. So I asked a little bit about that. Um, and Tony asked a good question about, you know, how you kind of deal with 
mm, the, the people getting uncomfortable, you know, when we're talking about some stuff that's really challenging or where we might have some deep disagreements, um, you know, how are we navigating that? Um, and I was, uh, first thing that popped into my head was, uh, thinking about Rachel Held Evans. And I think this is from Searching for Sunday, where she says, you know, church should be a place where everybody is safe and nobody is comfortable. And so I kind of leaned back uh, on, and, and she's also a person who came from an evangelical um, faith tradition and, and went through a faith transition. So it felt nice to to lean on her. Um, and, you know, just to um, let us figure out how to be okay with being uncomfortable uh, that we can still keep each other safe while we do those things and ask each other hard questions. Um, we don't like being uncomfortable, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not in a safe space to to push and explore and, and be creative and have questions. Um, and then there were a few um, a few questions about, you know, how would this apply to uh, this other faith community? My research was really focused on community of Christ. There was a whole week of um, learning that we did. Uh, with the folks in the group that was about specifically about community of Christ history uh, with social justice, which a lot of people don't know. We have actually a pretty robust history with social justice, even from our, our very early days. And I had done my capstone during my during CFC seminary days. And so I was able to go back and thank past Linda for all of her research and notes and able to, able to use that. But, um, you know, so one of the questions was like, oh, this research is really, really CFC. You know, does this apply to other faith traditions? Um, and of course you're in an ecumenical school, so that's a good question. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really awesome, awesome experience. I felt so supported, um, by the staff, um, you know, Tony Shawla Smith flew all the way in from Kansas city, uh, which was such a cool experience to be there. He only stayed in town for like, I don't even know if it was a full 24 hours, um, so that he could be there. Uh, that made me feel so supported. Um, I got like a card in the mail from, Art Smith uh, was getting like messages from you, Robin. Good luck today. And so, you know, that's just one of the amazing things about Community of Christ is all these connections that you make and how many people remembered that morning. Hey, I think your thing is today. I'm, I'm thinking about you. And um, yeah, I just felt really, really loved and empowered. It, it was a really a cool experience. So if you had to boil the message and findings of your dissertation into one or two paragraphs, and I know that's asking a lot, a lot <laughs> but uh, what would you say? Yeah, you know, I, I'm i not going to be able to probably put it in a few paragraphs, but I think um, what I really loved learning about was really piecing apart what it means to be prophetic and what is a prophet. and. Um, Walter Brueggemann is probably the most useful voice for me on this. Um, and he's talking about, you know, prophets kind of have to operate two ways. And a lot of us operate one way or the other. Um, but we have to be critical of what's happening around us that's not in line with God's vision. And we have to be vocal about that, right? And we rely on God for that. But that aspect of being prophetic isn't so much about predicting the future of what might happen. It's about looking around and reading the signs of the culture. It's about being close enough to oppressed people uh, to know what's really happening and to say, this is not in line with God's vision. And actually God has a better future for us. Doing that criticism and maintaining the hope 
that allows us to envision something that's completely new that's possible with God. And we have to stay in that rhythm of managing both of those things. How do we stay critical and say, this is not what God wants for us in our shared life and stay hopeful enough to rely on God and be able to imagine something that's that's um, never existed, something that's actually truly new um, to get so far outside our worldview that we can imagine a world where everyone has enough. And so Walter Brueggemann really relies on Jeremiah for that critical piece. And I fell in love with Jeremiah. Um, there's like a half a shelf over here. <laughs> it's just all books on Jeremiah. I went down a really deep Jeremiah hole, which I don't actually recommend. Um <laughs> But uh, he relies on Jeremiah for that criticism piece, and he relies on Second Isaiah for that hope piece. Um, and so there's just so much biblical stuff there. And, and like I said, I, I fell in love with the Hebrew Bible. So, um, you know, it's easy for us to get stuck in this criticism piece. I think a lot of us know how to do that, um, but we forget to do the hope piece. And actually, that's something that Community of Christ talks about a lot. Um, we can look back in these scriptures and see how consistently God is on the side of the oppressed, and that can give us hope to keep moving forward. So that wasn't one or two paragraphs, but um, if I was going to boil it down, I guess I would say, you know, that would be my that would be my thesis. That was really, really excellent and very inspiring. So you have touched on this a little bit, but how does your work connect with Community of Christ? And maybe even how does your work challenge us to go deeper in our identity, our mission, our message, and our beliefs? Yeah. One of the cool things that I I got to do as I was doing some research for this was uh, to email a little bit back and forth with um, President Vizi on some questions about, you know, what is, because I can't imagine the responsibility that comes with that mantle of profit. Um, but, you know, how does he view our, um, you know, our, our way of thinking about prophecy and prophets? Is that in line with what's happening in the, in the Hebrew Bible? Or is that something that's separate? Um, and exploring it sort of through, his eyes was really helpful. Um, and I think that, you know, if we were to lean into that a little bit more, this aspect of what it means to be a prophetic people, where we all take responsibility together, um, because again, being a prophet is a pretty big mantle. Um, it's the responsibility of all of us. So I think if we were to really um, embrace what it means to be prophetic, that can call us out of our congregations. I think it can call us to be living a little bit closer to the people in our communities, to embrace what's happening there, to shake off some of the fear and get outside and start doing the real work that needs to be done. Um, I think that, you know, this work can help us explore a little bit deeper, um, a little bit deeper into our past. You know, we were just chatting about what a strong history community of Christ has. Um, we've done some amazing stuff together. Uh, and I think that what you can really see is how consistent God's call is across time, not just for community of Christ, but for um, all people of this faith. And so I think um, my hopes for community of Christ are really that we just continue to dig deeper into who we say we are, that we deepen our understanding of um, you know, how we stay critical of what's not right, but how we also manage this hope uh, and our vision for peace, that we uh, learn a little bit more about how we're prophetic in our own lives and in our congregations. Um, 
I just want to keep us keep seeing us to be who we are, but um, even more authentically and even more deeply. Yeah, and as you're talking, um, balancing that that critical lens of Jeremiah and the hope that's cast in Isaiah and living that out as we seek to go deeper in the prophetic tradition um, to truly be a prophetic people is also that tension of maintaining community and, and mm-hmm. diverse, very diverse people. It's like your experience with the guy that got up and spoke out against the LGBTQIA plus community, which I'm sure was shocking when you first first heard that. Yeah. But um, We can be in deep friendship with people. And sometimes we don't always know the ways that we're different from one another or the perspectives that we hold any one minute that may not match. Um, yeah, that, that's a big part, I think, of, of what you're talking about. Do you have any comments on that? I think maybe that's maybe one of the, one of the most important parts of church relationships is that we do learn to love deeply people we disagree with when we do it right. I can think of a few people who, gosh, I love them. And I just couldn't disagree with them more on a lot of things that are really important aspects of my life. But I am willing to stay in the struggle with them because of the love that I have for them. Um, I'm not remembering off the top of my head, which enduring principle it is. um, Talks about how we commit to staying in that conversation, practicing that in intentional communities. I mean, those just picking up those skills and relationships. um, I really think that can transform our communities. It's a hard and amazing thing to learn. So I do want to ask you for uh, reading recommendations, but before we move to that, I think we've dovetailed into the question, what are your hopes for the future of community of Christ and, and the world? I mean, the world that, that we're sent out to share the peace of Jesus Christ. Yeah, man, hopes for the world. I think, you know, um, as a parent, it is kind of, and maybe parents have felt like this forever. It's, it's kind of scary out there. Um, and I, I really hope that what we can continue to do is think about how, you know, an international church um, can be speaking, continue to be speaking to peace. What's unique about our story? Um, I think I don't know enough about how to solve so many of these problems. And it makes me feel frustrated and isolated. Um, But being in community with other people who really want to see change and then figuring out how we can do those small things together continues to make me feel like I can get up in the morning and do another day because I know I'm not out here wrestling it alone. Um, I think the way that we develop those relationships is something that's kind of unique to community of Christ. Um, I hope that we continue to grow that aspect. Um, how do we continue to maintain hope with so many hard things that are happening in the world? Um, at least for me, it's kind of easy to get swallowed up by that sometimes. Um, but my faith community keeps pulling me out. Um, the relationships and uh, all those amazing people who just kind of wrap you up when things are hard. Uh, those amazing relationships you develop in community. Um, I think that's something really special that we have in community of Christ. I do too. And I think when we're at our best, um, we live into that in such a deep and meaningful way. Mm -hmm. 
And I would love to be able, you know, you, you've talked about community as our church community congregation, but you've also addressed community as outside our walls, you know, interconnected, not just city and nation, but, but globally. Um, and I think we have the capacity to learn how to do that better and to teach other people what that looks like and how we can all do that in a, in this diverse world, which would certainly uh, lend itself to that holding on to that hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Linda, what reading recommendations do you have for us today? Well, the the work, if you only could read one book about about this topic, about the prophetic tradition and, and becoming prophetic, uh, Walter Brueggemann, The Prophetic Imagination. This is a 40-year-old book and they just did another uh, edition of it. And if you were, if this was a video podcast, you'd be able to see that my copy is absolutely destroyed and it's covered in post-it notes and highlight. This is an excellent book. Um, it gives you kind of just the basic outline. And and this book is sort of how I um, organize what the research would be like. How do we learn about the different aspects and break down such a big topic of the prophetic tradition and wrestle it into something that you could manage in a six-week class? Uh, and so this, this book is awesome. Another one that's kind of out there, uh, maybe a different pick that um, others might not have heard of, is Where Have All the Prophets Gone? It's by Marvin McMickle. And the subtitle is Reclaiming Prophetic Preaching in America. And um, this is written kind of specifically from the perspective of the Black church. Uh, and so I think it provides a perspective that's unique to a lot of Community of Christ congregations in the U.S. I could go on and on. Oh, this was another really great one. Um, American Prophets. And this is by Albert J. Rabito. Um, and this is this book is really neat. It talks about prophets from kind of this modern day, which was a cool connection that we tried to make throughout this class. This idea that prophets or the idea of a prophet isn't bad, right? God continues to call prophets throughout time. So who are the prophets who have been speaking recently? Um, this book talks about Dorothy Day, talks about Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Really, really cool and pretty concise book. Um, and then Oh gosh, I really could just go on and on, but this is kind of a newer book. This one came out in 2022. It's called The Prophets, very creative title. Uh, but it's by Stephen Cook, uh, John Strong, and Stephen Toole. And uh, this guy, Stephen Toole, is someone that um, Tony Schwellesmith had uh, gone to seminary with. And so Tony knew this book was coming out ahead of time. And he's like, you've got to get it. I think it's going to be really helpful. And it was. Um if you're interested in like the weird kind of cultic version or uh kind of aspect of prophecy, which it totally like, I love a cult documentary. So I was like, tell me everything about how this kind of gets <laughs> started. What is this? And it just opened my mind. It's a really weird old book, but just by Robert Wilson, who taught at, I think, Yale for a long time, Prophecy and Society in Ancient Israel, Robert R. Wilson, uh, really, really interesting book. But I love to read, so we better stop or I'll just keep going and going. Yeah, me too. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get that. Oh, I've got to get that one. <laughs> I do have the prophetic imagination. Great, great book. Oh, uh, but yeah, nice. these other ones are new to me, so I can't wait to explore some of those myself. So Linda, is there anything that you would really like to say today that I haven't asked you about? 
Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me a chance to talk about my, you know, my dissertation. I guess the last thing I'll mention is that um, I'm no longer on the Harmony board. I, my term has ended, but I'm still an active participant. And so I always want to invite everybody to our Sacred Pause Worship, which is the last Sunday or the last Monday, excuse me, of pretty much every month. Uh, and it's an opportunity to get together uh, and worship for folks who are in the community and also allies. Uh, I look forward to it every month. So uh, if you're one of those people, you are very much invited. We'd love to see you. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for making time to be with us today and to share your life and adventure with D-Men with us. And of course, a very special thanks to all of our listeners. If you would like to hear more stories about peace, check out our Grounds for Peace series in the drop-down menu of our website, projectzionpodcast.org. If you want to hear more from Linda Stanbridge, listen to episode 119, where Linda talks about her personal faith journey and what brought her to Community of Christ. Also, check out our show notes for today's episodes, where we will link several episodes that feature Linda sharing about mission in today's world in a wide variety of contexts. This is your host, Robin Linkart, and you are listening to Project Zion Podcast. Go out and make the world a better place. Take good care. Bye-bye. <music>